Welcome ninjas to another episode of the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name is Tim Cameron Kitchen. I'm best-selling digital marketing author and head ninja at Exposure Ninja, which is an awesome digital marketing agency. This show is all about helping you generate more leads and sales through your website. And in this episode, if you enjoyed the last one where we shared six tips for increasing your organic traffic, you're going to love this one because we've got six more for you. Yes, we've brought Ritu, Dale and Andy back to give us more tips on how to improve your website's organic traffic. So just like the previous episode, we're not focusing here on the super technical, hardcore strategies. We're covering the basics that are most likely to get you some big movement if they're not in place. This is the low hanging fruit stuff. So even if you've got your website's SEO all dialed in and you consider yourself a master, it's worth running through these tips because if you don't have any of them in place, you're likely to be throwing away quite a bit of traffic. So I hope you find them useful. Don't forget, if you enjoy these podcasts, you might also enjoy the Exposure Ninja YouTube channel. So if you just go to YouTube and search for Exposure Ninja, you'll find that we post videos every week. Some of them are live where we'll bring on attendees and we'll rip apart their websites and design digital marketing strategies for them live on screen. Uh, others are tip videos like these ones. We have interviews on there. We have instructionals. We have walkthroughs. And we even have somewhere I break down the success of prominent companies and look at their digital marketing and show you examples on the screen as well. So just go to YouTube on your app or on your browser or you know how to find YouTube. You're a functioning adult um, and search for Exposure Ninja. Anyway, without further ado, enjoy six more organic traffic tips from the team here at Exposure Ninja. Tip seven, create link-worthy content. Dale, what is link-worthy content? Uh, link-worthy content is content that earns links. <laughs> but simply, I mean, like the greatest content that does well online for every industry um, does well because people want to link to it. And the main reason that people link to it is because it forms it's a solution there's a solution that it serves um so as an example on our own website um we have a bunch of blog posts that do fairly well uh for ranking um because of the links that they've earned over time um and some of those include that we have one on um what is the AT? We have a good one on uh, bounce rate and what it is and what a good bounce rate should be. They've performed well because they've been useful to people and those people have then linked to that piece, which then helps it to, to rank up in Google. Because for as many ranking factors as they are, links are still a crucial part of it. Um, so your website needs to have something that is link worthy and not something that you have to necessarily go and build links to, although that's that's often a part of you know content marketing or digital marketing or SEO. You have to for you know try and earn links. It's better to earn links through having great content that people would want to link to naturally. Um, you know, I, I've I've had a, a blog in the past that did quite well, and a lot of the links the links that I got to that blog, I had no hand in whatsoever. Mm. I definitely did some link building, but there were a lot of links I had no part in whatsoever because the content I created was useful to people other people in my industry or people who um, like for example I was a travel blogger I was writing uh, travel blog uh, guides or guides to locations or how to save for travel and stuff like that and people who were also going through that who um, were also travel bloggers and say oh I'm planning to go to Berlin or um here's a guide about berlin but if you want to see like the best free places to go to link to my piece and that's useful for that 
blogger, that website owner, but also for the people um, who are doing that research as well. Great point. And I was recently researching our Hut Group video podcast looking into link acquisition of the various hut group properties one of the things that's fairly obvious for sites of that size is that there's no way they're manually going out and picking up these links if you're a site like look fantastic you're getting like 10 high profile media mentions a month because you're ranking top for a whole bunch of different beauty terms and if i need to find someone to link to who sells a particular product you're already ranking top so you're going to get that link the question is how do businesses that aren't already you know at the top that aren't easily getting found how do they make sure that they're picking up these kind of natural link opportunities as well as the the big ones so we don't just end up in this virtuous cycle where the big link big sites pick up all the links and the little sites never get a look in well, that comes part of your content strategy. You have to think about not just like the big keywords or search queries that uh, you want to rank for. You have to think about the long tail stuff. And when I say long tail, I mean like the searches that have more infrequent um, searches that have a lower search volume. People are still interested in that information. They still are looking for the solution to their problem. Um, so it's better that you have that content on your website, even if it's not a high volume of traffic, it's better to have that that people can then trust and link to and have like 10 of those than it is to try and rank for something super important that would earn, you know, hundreds of links every week or every month. Um, that's good. You know, your, your business is not going to be in that position anytime soon. So I would consider what is it that your business, your, sorry, your target audience, your customers need, what would be useful to them and then see, okay, can I create content around it? Can I create a couple of different things that people would find useful and link to without my having to go out of the way and contact them? Um, you can, of course, include that within your strategy, a link building strategy to contact people and point it out to them and say, hey, we just create this new thing. Maybe it'll be useful to you. You can definitely do that. But earning links in the long term is definitely going to be uh, really beneficial for you. Tip eight. Use your keywords or close variants, and that's important, within your headings, body content, uh, internal links, and metadata without being spammy. That's important as well. <laughs> so Andy, we've just said that keywords are important, but they are not everything. And now here we're saying we need to use keywords in particular places on the page. So why is it important that we use keywords, for example, within headings and in your body content, internal links and metadata, if Google might still rank our pages, even if we don't include those keywords? So the important part is all close variants. So you don't have to use those exact keywords to rank for that exact term, but you need close variants to confer, convey the meaning behind your content. And like we said before, it's really important to make sure you're answering the need of the searcher. Those keywords or the variants of them help to answer that need. Obviously an exact match keyword, it clearly matches the need because it's an exact match, but close variants will also match the need. So for example, if we stick with the previous example of best divers watch, um, greatest divers watch, number one divers watch, they're not an exact match, but they're very similar. So that's where the close variants come in. So you need to use 
the keywords or the close variants to help Google understand the content. Um, you also then need to use them in particular places on the page because some places have slightly more weighting in terms of how Google evaluates the content. So for example, your page title, um, some people know it as a meta title, a page title, that is, Google understands that's the title for the page. So it expects it to be a concise summary of what the page is. So that help having your keywords in there helps you rank for those selective keywords because you're telling if you set in your page title best divers watches reviewed, Google knows that this page is all about reviewing the best divers watches because you've told it that's what it's all about. Um, similar applies with headings. So headings working your way down the page are content headings. They're similar to the page title, but whereas the page titles for the whole page, the heading is just for that section that it's the heading of. Um, internal links as well help. So using internal links, um, you've probably all heard of anchor text, the text that you use to link one uh, for, um, some words on your site to uh, another page. Those words help Google understand what the page you're linking to is about. If you use the anchor text best divers watchers and link that to your pages review, your page reviewing the best divers watchers, Google can understand from that text that that page is almost certainly about the best divers watchers. So it helps Google understand what the page content is about. So, um, so part of what Google's ranking, so Google's ranking you for quality, which is a huge factor in ranking, but it's also ranking you based on how certain it is, how certain it is about what your page is about. So all these factors help make Google more certain that your page is about this content so it knows which, which searches are appropriate to rank it for. So if I hear you correctly, what you're saying is, although you don't necessarily need your exact target keywords to be found all over your page in order for your page to rank for that phrase, including them is gonna both help Google's certainty that this is the right page to rank for that term. It's also gonna help users because if they've got that keyword in their head when they land on the page and then they see it straight in front of them, then that's obviously, it's gonna increase their confidence as well. Yeah, so yeah, users is a really good point as well. So if you think of it this way, you're searching for best divers watch and you land on a page that has title big in bold, 101 uses for Linguini, you're gonna bounce straight <laughs> off that page. The article might be the best article ever written about divers watchers, but you're gonna bounce straight off that page because that's the title you see and it's completely inappropriate to what you're looking for. I'm just trying to work out what the other uses of Linguini might be. <laughs> It's a good point because we would use keywords even if search engines didn't exist, right? This is market research. We're talking our customers' language. Yeah. This is not just an SEO tool. This is a marketing, an influence, and a persuasion tool. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, we use keywords. Keywords are used. It's not keywords on. While obviously they're connected heavily to SEO, they're not just used in SEO. They're used in TV advertising, radio advertising. You need those words for the user or the potential customer to connect what you're offering with what they want. Okay, so in this blog, there. This is from a legal advice firm, and you can see in this blog quite clearly that is about rights to property after a separation. So that's really obvious in the title you can see there, and it really just stands straight out on you as soon as you land on the page. You know exactly what this piece of content is about. 
well, the keywords it's using throughout the page. So you can see it's using the keywords. We do a search just to highlight them, if I can spell properly. If we do a search just to highlight them, so you can see we've got rights to property after separation. We've got rights to property after separation. It's used again here, but then we've just got rights to property. It's dropped the separation part. We've got rights to property after separation again, when you're married and getting a divorce. Rights to property where children are involved. So you can see it's not just using rights to property after separation every time. While it does use it several times, you see it's not just using that same what rights to property after separation every time. It's got a few variations. It's also then adding extra areas on. So rights to property after separation when both parties own the home, um, when you aren't married and so on. So whilst the rights to property after separation, which is the core keyword there, does appear several times. There's also some variations in there. They're not using that exact one all the time. And you can also switch them around. So um, so as well as you can see here, right here, so where they've switched it around. Are you going through a separation and divorce and wondering what your rights are to the home? Doesn't use the key, keyword, at least in the original way, but it means the same thing to the user. It's saying it in a different way. It's useful to users because it's giving them the information in a different way. And it's useful, it's useful to help you ranking because one downside you can have if you get a bit caught up on the forcing your keyword in everywhere is it can look to Google a bit like you're a bit trying to game the system and just trying to force it in there and it's not useful for users. It looks like you're trying to game the system. They're going to start penalizing you for that and dropping you down the rank ranking. So you can see this blog provides a pretty good example of using variations essentially mean the same thing. Ultimately, it comes back to meaning the same thing. So Google understands that this content is very focused and answers this question very specifically, but using variations of it throughout the throughout the content. It's a great piece and it ranks well and it's important also the potential takeaway could be from this that someone watches it and says right I need to put rights to property in every single one of my subheadlines but actually the fact that this piece does it the main reason it does this is because we've got different um different potential situations that people might be in where they're interested in rights to property so what this piece actually does is those subheadlines provide an anchor as someone's scanning down the page to try to find the situation that is most relevant to them given that they've got this rights to property keyword in their head because that's what they've just searched for so we haven't sacrificed user experience by using that phrase actually that phrase is in there to increase the user's experience yeah, and with a recent change to Google as well, these type that what you've just pulled out there can be really helpful. Um, so a reasonably recent change Google have made is to their featured snippets. And for those that don't know, you've probably seen them in the searches. When you search for a term and at the very top of the organic results, so it's below the ads that appear at the top of the page, but above all the other results, there's often a little box with a bit more result in it than most of the results that you see that's a featured snippet. So the featured snippets can take pieces of content from anywhere on your page and display in there. But what Google's recently started doing as well, which has really increased here, is if you then click on that featured snippet, it will jump you to the part of the page where it pulled it from. So for example, if you look, were searching for something around rights to property after separation when you aren't married, Google may decide to display 
this bit as part of the featured snippet. And then if a user clicked on the result, it would jump them straight to here instead of them having to start at the top. So having these headings that break it down as well really help in gathering those as well, which make it more relevant to specific users and make it easier for Google to get those users to that relevant part, which Google really likes you making things easier for them. Um, so it can help ranking there as well. Tip nine. Increase internal links. So everybody knows the SEO importance of getting external links, i.e. links from other websites into your site. Yeah. What's the deal with internal links and what should people be doing in order to improve their ranking using internal links? Yeah, so internal links are very useful for establishing your site architecture and uh, spreading link equity and helps users and Google Spriters to navigate around. And also, um, in addition to establishing link equity, it ha helps to establish the relevance. So what do you mean by relevance over here? Uh, let's say you're trying to rank a page for a, on a particular subject. So for example, Exposure Ninja has written a guide on inbound marketing and that's what they are trying to rank for, inbound marketing and that particular page. So um, in order to get that page ranked, Google expects to see that there are other supporting articles as well linking to this page. We, we know that there should be external articles linking to this page, but we also want that internally, whatever links we have, um, they should also be supporting to, the, to this page with the anchor text that we are trying to rank. Inbound marketing, for example, over here. And then internal links help Google crawlers reach to every single page of the website, which may be hidden deep into your website, which you will not fi find easily without doing at least three or four clicks. So. That's how, uh, with the help of internal links, we can make the navigation for users very easy. So uh, if we take an example then, let's say someone has written a blog, um, let's say they're an accountancy firm and they've written a blog about uh, five ways to save tax, right? Yeah. And uh, what they might do is they'll be getting loads of traffic and loads of ranking for that blog in order oh. to increase the ranking of their service pages, then they might have internal links in that blog copy, which then drives people right. to our tax accounting page or the VAT sure. accounting page, right? Yes. Yes. So you always want to you always want to convert the traffic that is coming to your blog pages. So it's the best way to link out to your services pages from uh, from your blog pages, especially those are getting a lot of traffic. So you would you sh because the, at the end of the day, the aim is to make money from the website. So you want to convert as much traffic as possible. So yeah, that's a good that's the strategy to be followed. Uh, that link out to your services pages from the blog posts. And are there any rules or guidelines about where those internal links should be in that blog post? Um. I, I would say um, everything should be done from a user's perspective that it should not um, affect uh, it should not affect the engagement rate, which is uh, engagement metric like bounce rate. 
So if you stuff your articles with too many internal links, that makes it difficult for user to read the article or you know it doesn't give a good experience, then, then it's not a good practice. So usually as a SEO, I suggest to have six to seven internal links and never have an internal link in the start of the article. So you're starting an article with an internal link that doesn't sound right. Mm. Um, and from a user's perspective as well, Google as such hasn't given any written guidelines that you should do this and that for internal links. But um, as Google has clearly said that user uh, experience is one thing that Google is looking after. So that's what we need to look after as well. And um, having an article stuffed with internal links, we know that it's not good for user experience. So yeah, so when I'm, I am feeding internal links in an article, I do it from user's perspective that it should provide the provide good user experience and should uh, solve my uh, internal link purpose as well, which is linking out to other articles and making sure that that it actually links out to the relevant articles, not to any uh, non-relevant articles, because then we will lose the user. Perfect. Should we see an example? If you're listening to this on audio and you want to see Ritu doing a demo on Screaming Frog for how to check your internal links, then you can go to the Exposure Ninja YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com and search Exposure Ninja. So to find internal link, potential uh, internal link opportunities, we will again use Screaming Frog tool. So I have already started scrolling uh, this website, ExposureNinja.com. So I will show you how you can find the opportunities. So you click on internal, you will click on blog and you will see in links and outlinks. So I'm worried, uh, I'm gonna head to section outlinks. That is showing you all the links that are pointing from the article to other sections of the website. So that's, you will see this whole list that it's pointing to, right? So, and you will see the anchor text as well. So you will see the anchor text, what it's, uh, linked from and again you can what you can do you can i'll stop it because we have to download this list so you you will do bulk export all outlinks that just makes things easier for you to uh scan through the list and then so Riti, these are links to other pages on exposure ninja or these are links to um pages outside the site both both so we have to filter out we have to uh, filter out the external links out, any links outside of exposure ninja because over here we are focusing on internal links so i'll show you how you can uh, filter out in your excel if you just add a filter data filter you can text contains exposure ninja so we only want to see links that are um, going to ExposureNinja.com. For this particular task, we are not concerned about any external links outside ExposureNinja.com. So we're going to filter out those links. So it's now it's showing you how many pages, how, how many links we have 
per article. Tip 10. Improve metadata. Reading metadata is one of my favorite things in the entire world, which I admit puts me in a relatively small category. Why is metadata as an SEO also one of your favorite things in the world? <laughs> uh, metadata is very powerful. So it improves your chances of being discovered in Google for various search terms and it helps to improve your click-through rate and eventually drive more traffic to the website. So for people who are like metadata, that sounds boring. Um, what actually is metadata? Yeah, so uh, metadata is essentially two main things, page title and meta description. For those who are watching on the video, Ritu's going to show you what page titles and meta descriptions look like. For those listening on the podcast, you can either go to the Exposure Ninja YouTube channel or page titles and meta descriptions are basically the stuff that's behind the scenes on each page of your site. So if you click um, view source, then you'll find a little title tag uh, and also a meta description tag. These are the primary pieces of metadata that we're going to be focusing on. So what is page title and meta description? The, the text that you will see at the top of your URL bar, that is um, your page title. And that is going to be, that ideally should be different for every single page of your website. Let's try another page. Let's go to search engine optimization page. A good website will have unique page title, unique metadata meta for every single page of the website. And why is that? Because um, page title and meta description is a reflection of, your, of the content of your page. It tells Google what the page is about. So essentially, if you have different pages, then it should have unique uh, page title and meta description. So this is the page title. Now the second is a meta description. You can't see it on the page. It's not visible to, um, it's not visible anywhere on the page. Now, if you head to Google, you search for any search term, Digital Marketing Agency London, for example, and the first result that you see is this. And this, this text that Google is showing is pulled from your uh, page title. So this is your page title, and this text is pulled from your meta description. So how do I know what is a meta description for my website for this particular page? There are two ways to check. There, there are many ways to check. I'll show you two ways. First way, you click on view page source, and then you search for description. You will see this meta name description, and this is your description. It's not visible on the page anywhere. Most of the times, for most of the websites, I have seen it empty, but it's like a missed opportunity because whatever you put here, it will be shown here. And why this is important? Because whatever is shown in SERPs, that drives click-through rate. So if I'm searching for, for example, a baking recipe, and if I'm searching for um, anything related to uh, baking, a particular cake recipe, and if that shows up in my page title, I will, as a user, click on it without going anywhere else. And if the text over here is very lucrative, again, that will make me click. So that's why metadata is important to um, improve your click-through rate. 
Similarly, for this page title, Digital Marketing Agency London, people will experiment with different page titles. Like they will add words like best or top, top performing, those kind of keywords that make people click on it because that's like a reflection of the content that people can expect to see on the website. So what we've really got here is we've got two elements in play, haven't we? So your page titles really want to include some keywords in them because actually Google's yeah. going to analyze your page title for keywords. Yeah. But we've also got to be aware that both the page title and the meta description are really here to entice visitors. They're essentially adverts to get people to click on the page, aren't they? So yeah. they yeah. need to be attractive if we're going to get the visitors on the page once we've shown up. Correct, correct. And, uh, and to scan through the page title and meta description for your website, again, we will use this tool, uh, Screaming Frog. Over here, you see this tab page title that will show you page title for all the webs for all the pages of your website and it will also do a breakdown if you are missing page title on any of the pages if you have duplicate page title on any of the pages because these are essentially um, could be quick wins for you and over 65 characters yes and we should make sure that the page title is less than 65 characters because you may have noticed over here that Google uh, will only show until 65 characters. And after that, Google will uh, chop the page title text. So in order to um, in order to have your full page title shown, just make sure that it's less than 65 characters. It may not be possible every time, but that's what we should try for. And then below 30 characters, if it's too small, then we are wasting the characters. So we should make sure that we are making good use of it. Then it also shows you over five, five six, six, eight pixels because that's the size of, um, that's, the, that's the pixel length of your page title because uh, some alphabets may take less pixel length compared to other uh, uh, other alphabets. If you put everything in caps, for example, in capital letters, that will be very long if you look at pixel length. So you, so that's why Screaming Frog, I think, is the best tool because it gives you a good breakdown of both page title and meta description and um, lists everything in a very um, organized way that you can just go and uh, quickly fix the bugs that you see in page title and meta description. And lastly, one, then you can head to your Google search console to see if um, your page, uh, if your page title and meta description is helping you to achieve good click-through rate or not. If we just look at Exposure Ninja, so head down to pages, so this is the, and we turn on click-through rate. So this is the click-through rate for every single page that it's showing up. Now we want to improve click-through rate. Again, we will just click on this page and see what queries are driving traffic to the website, to that particular page. So these are the click-through rate for these pages. And if we see that, um, if, we re if we feel that the, this particular keyword should have more click-through rate and is there any opportunity that I can add 
the exact match for this particular keyword in my title tag. So that's how you use this list of keywords to improve your title tag and eventually improve your uh, click-through rate. Awesome. Tip 11. Make content appealing using images and videos. So this one sounds obvious from a usability standpoint, but why is this important from an SEO standpoint? And specifically, how do people make their content more appealing with images and videos? Is it just a case of, let's just stick in some giffies? Uh, you could do that, I guess, but it's not quite what people are looking for. I mean, I've, I have uh, read through a lot of blogs in my work, uh, looking around, see what other people are doing, and I've seen you know, uh, some websites that do just drop jiffies in for the entertainment value, but they very rarely add anything to the piece that, I, that educate me more. Again, I'm looking for a solution to my problem and jiffy rarely does that. That's like the kind of thing you would add into like a BuzzFeed article. When it comes to your content, I find it, I would imagine that not many businesses are in a position of BuzzFeed where they can be entertaining. Um, you need to be informative and your images, the videos that you include, include need to be informative because at the end of the day, what you're trying to do is get your customer from the very early part of the sales funnel where they're just like, I don't know anything about anything, don't know how to solve my problem to all the way to the end where they know what the solution is and they just need to find someone to do it with. So the content needs to be to get them to the very end of that funnel. And images could be really helpful with that. Graphics, uh, infographics as well, uh, graphs, whatever image type works for your content, but videos as well, like video explainers. Because some people will just come into a piece, they'll see like 1200 words and be like, well, I'm not, I'm out, I can't be, I'm just looking for a, far, a fast uh, answer. A video, which could be, you know, uh, could be done in like five minutes, 10 minutes is so much more, in, engaging for someone and conveys the same information um like the, if you go back to like the psychology of learning people either love to read to learn how to do something or they prefer to do it physically to learn or they prefer prefer to hear it so when i was working at starbucks they would do all three of those they would um have you read how to do something then they would explain it to you as well and the, while showing you the actual like pouring of the coffee and so on and you know everything behind the bar and then you would practically do it for yourself uh, unlike other jobs where they just put you on the station that you're on and show you once and then they're off and that system really works and your content has to kind of work in the same way like if your content can do all three of those things so let people have a way of absorbing the information through reading it but also hearing it and seeing it they're going to en engage far more with the piece stay for longer and be more trusting of your business because you explained yourself well and made it easier for them to be informed enough that they can make a, uh, a decision on where they get the solution from which if they spend 10 minutes on your website learning about it it's probably going to be your business's website and you've done quite a bit of work into user behavior and particularly looking at how people consume articles online, haven't you? What does that background and, and that research tell us about how we should be formatting these particularly longer pieces? Well, there's a lot of research that's happened over the last few decades and it keeps coming. People keep going back to it and revising it, going back to revising it. The one I love is the Nielsen Norman group who have, who did the, the F shape study, like 
10, 20 years ago, uh, which if, if you're watching, you don't know what that is. That basically says that when people read, uh, I think it's specifically the internet, maybe papers as well, but um, they do an, a kind of F shape. They read the title, they come down. Well, if I point that way, it's a backwards F. If you're watching this on video, I'm pointing out an F in the air. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But um, you read like you read the headline and then you skip down a bit and then you read a bit more and then you skip down a bit and you read a bit more. And it's kind of you read less and less sideways. Uh, nowadays, people read what Nielsen Norman Group um, called the layer cake. So it's kind of like if you had a Victoria sponge that was like three, four layers, uh, you would just kind of read the layers of sponge or read the layers of uh, jam uh, and not actually read any of the paragraphs of text so in a blog post with you know uh, that's been formatted well to be uh, to have like headings and subheadings you would just scan across look at the headings subheadings and you try and get a feel for if the content works for you or not if it's going to be informative um, so it's really important that your content isn't just a blob of text with no subheadings or no kind of breaks in the page at all. That's where images and videos come in, is that you can kind of disrupt that browsing flow and encourage people to spend more time absorbing that information. So for example, if I am looking through a massively long piece that I probably wrote myself because I can't stop myself when I'm writing, um, if I include an image in there, I can summarize that section and people can see, okay, I get the main points of that, if I want to take in more information from there, I can by um, read, you know, skipping from the image to reading that section or going backwards and reading it. So, uh, you know, you can summarize it and give people information in different ways. They can determine, right, this is the article for me or this is the section for me. Um, and yeah, it, it's far more engaging for people. I think it's about that. There's like a, a perception shift, isn't there? I think it can be tempting to write something and think I really want people to read every single word I want them to sequentially write every painful word that's been squeezed out of my fingernails at 11 p.m like I, I want them to get this because I want to get all the information in their head but actually we need to move to a different place where we're giving them these signposts these flags down the article so they can find the stuff that's most relevant for them and then they can go deeper into the site or they can convert in the sidebar what's what's right for them. It's not about forcing them to do it your way. It's about giving them what they need and, and just trying to be as helpful as possible for them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's great to kind of speak to your customers as well. There are kind of little, little things you can do on your website by adding like pop-ups and live chat or um, like a good one is a hot jar. You can have a pop-up come up and say, was this content engaging to you? Or did was would you have benefited from a video? Um, you know, what was missing? And you can kind of gain that information and and. Uh, revise your content based on that. Um, in fact, I, it reminds me of a story I picked up a couple of years ago when I was at a conference where um, I think it was somebody from the government, um, somebody from the UK digital government, digital services or whatever they're called. Um, they had like a lot of content to revise, like thousands and thousands of pages, and they did not know which pages to start with. Like they were thinking, okay, we can start with traffic and just go for, okay, those ones that get the most traffic first, we'll, we'll just revise those. Uh, but they realized that that doesn't really focus on if content is useful or not. So they just added a simple box at the bottom which said, was this content useful or not? Yes or no. And and then they 
added the, the the results of that alongside the URLs in their list and said, okay, this particular content has a really high no value. It's not useful. We'll start there, even if the traffic's not massive. Oh, well, I imagine mm. they did it to pages that have more than five visitors in a week, but they knew exactly, right, this content's not useful. Let's make it useful and work our way through that list. So using Hotjar or a form at the bottom of the page, if, if you have enough traffic coming through to your website, you can ask your readers what's missing and then start from there. Tip 12. Optimize images for search and speed. Search and speed. Okay, so it sounds like we've actually snuck in two tips here, Andy. You're telling people to optimize their images for search and optimize their images for speed. What are the search parts of that and what are the speed parts of that? Okay, yeah, so it's kind of a, a double tip. So speed, optimizing your images for speed is really helpful because the most common factor on websites that slows them down, and we know speed is a ranking factor, is images. You have a massive image, there's lots of data there, it just slows everything down. So you need to optimize your images for speed to make your overall website faster, as well as being a ranking factor, users like faster websites. Um, it's quite common now, if your website takes longer than four seconds to load, users aren't gonna wait. And four seconds isn't a lot, a lot amount of time. It's quite a short amount of time, uh, but four seconds, lots of users are gonna leave. 10 seconds, absolutely no chance, everyone's gone. So you need to make sure images don't slow your site down. Um, so, and then the other factor of it is image search. So this can vary, different biz types of businesses will get different mileage out of image search, but Google has an image search feature, you've probably used it. You can search for a keyword and then there's a little image button below the search bar and you can click on that and it gives you a load of images. Image search uses a different algorithm than Google search and ranking for image search can drive traffic to your website. It can be very successful, but like I said, some in industries will get different mileage out of it. Um, for things like um, uh, something like uh, accountancy, etc., you, you're probably not going to get too much out of image search because most people looking for accountants aren't going to be looking for images. But um, ecom certainly so. Uh, Ecom sites certainly can get a lot of business out of image search. If people are looking for, they'll often look for images about things that they want to buy so they get a better idea about it before they actually buy. If you're the person that provides them with that image, you, you're the person that's got them already, you've already made that connection. It might only be a small connection, but you've already made that con connection with them. If they see an image that they're like, they're more likely to go to that website hosting that image and buy it from there. Absolutely. Okay, so site speed. What okay. do you recommend? What do we use to improve the image optimization for speed? Image optimization for speed. So make sure image rendering is done on your server side. So it's a little technical. You'll likely need some uh, develop some uh, developer to help you. But um, Everybody knows there's computers, there's all different size monitors, different size laptops, different resolutions. So images have to be able to be displayed at different sizes and the computer will handle that. But you want your server to deal with it. It puts a bit more load on your server, but it makes it quicker overall because the other option is your server sends the image file to the user's computer at full resolution, whatever it is, probably a huge, massive image. 
which makes it longer to transmit the data to the computer. And then their browsers got to resize it itself and re-render it on its browser. So that slows it down. If your server takes care of it, it can just do it much, much quicker. So that helps speed it up. You also need to manage image size, um, image um, resolution, so the file size of the image. Um, so for WordPress sites, which uh, we work a lot with, there's loads of plugins out there to optimize them. So what you want to do is optimize your images for and compress them using lossless compression. So the image stays as good quality as it was, but it just cuts the file size down. So it makes it a much smaller file for the server to transmit to the browser, which means it can do it quicker. Um, so the plugins we normally use are short pixel or smush are the most common one, but there's lots of different ones out there that all do the same sort of thing. And if someone's listening thinking, ah, I really want to get ranking for some image searches, I think my audience is looking for pictures of what I sell and I'd love to get some of that traffic. How can they do that? Okay, the most common thing to do that is make sure you are setting both your title, image title, file name and alt text, so alternative text, and they're all set sensibly. So um, I see this on probably 90% of sites I see, their images have file names like banner image one, banner image two, and so on. That's never gonna help you to rank for, um, for in image search. Certainly, you're never going to rank in image search with titles like that, because Google can't understand what an image is. It's, it's still only a machine. It can't look at an image and understand, I know that that is a picture of a Ferrari, for example. It just knows it's a picture with so many red pixels and so many gray pixels and so on. So it needs these files, so the file name, the title, and the alternative text that it can read that to understand what those images are about. So you need to make sure they're set correctly. So the file name isn't so important, but you need to make sure it's it makes sense to what it is. So the file name, you've got a bit more leeway on because it's a file name, but the title certainly, you need to make sure that it explains what the image is. Same as you would do for a page title. If you were writing a document, the title you'd set at the head of the page, the same rules apply. It needs to explain you don't need to go into too much detail, but it needs to be accurate to what the actual image is. So if you read the title out to someone, they would have a rough idea of what that image is going to look like. And then the alternative text or the alt text goes a bit further. So the alt text is primarily used for visually impaired people. So if they go on your site, they obviously may, they have will struggle seeing images and a lot of visually impaired people will have a text to voice program on their computer that will read it out. The, that program would read the alternative text to the user so they knew what the image was about. So you need to set your alternative text to explain what the image is about. Again, you don't need to go into whole details and write full paragraphs, but it should give a reasonable explanation of what the image is. So if you read the alt text to somebody, they would have a rough mental image of what that picture is that wouldn't be too far away from the actual image. So for example, it'd be something like, um, Say you had a picture of some pancakes. You're a you're a restaurant. Um, you got a picture of some pancakes on your site. Your your title would probably be some. You want something like pancake stack or something like that. And then your alt text would go a bit further. It might be something like pancake stack with butter and blueberries, something like that, to give that bit more flavour to the image. That sounds amazing. <laughs> Do you want some pancakes now? I want some pancakes. Andy, thank you so much.
So those are your final six tips. We might do some future episodes. We actually have a whole bunch more tips. If you're keen for that, then drop us a comment on one of our social channels and let us know. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and our YouTube channel. You can search for Exposure Ninja on your podcast platform or on YouTube. And also check us out on social media at Exposure Ninja on all of the different platforms. Don't forget also to request your free website and digital marketing review. All you need to do is go to ExposureNinja.com, tell us a little bit about your business and your goals, and we will then record you a 15-minute video showing you how to increase the volume of leads and sales that your website generates for you. We'll take a look particularly at areas like SEO, pay-per-click, social media, and conversion rate optimization as well. We'll put all of this into a video and suggest your prioritized action plan over the next 12 months to get to whatever marketing goals you tell us you need to hit. Completely awesome service, totally free. So go to ExposureNinja.com for that. Until next time, see you soon.